Hello everyone and welcome to another episode of Billy Watson TV. It gives me great pleasure today to introduce a lady who's in, uh, all about 5G and mobile technology and this kind of stuff. Um, I've only, obviously all know about 5G and the dangers of it, but I've just been aware of her particular avenue of research, so I'm very interested in finding out more about it. Her name's Renat Strafflofer, is that correct? <laughs> yeah, but that's all right, Swiss. Yeah, well. Say. <laughs> okay, and uh, yeah, it's a pleasure to have you on the show. So, thanks for coming along. And would you like to just introduce yourself to the audience and let them know about, about your background and now your current research? Well, thanks for having me on the show, Billy. <clears throat> Excuse me. <clears throat> my um, my name's Renat, and my background is in telco marketing. So, I was actually part of a very small group uh, of eight people in Australia's largest rollout of the 3GSM mobile network. So this was about putting up 5,000 new sites. We had a billion dollar budget and the marketing campaigns that I was able to do were, you know, millions and millions of dollars. It was endless amounts of money. And we were responsible for getting Australians juiced up about picture messages, videos on the go, email. Um, and a lot of the time, you know, that th we had to break this whole understanding that this was some sort of sci-fi, you know, this was now available on your phone. And um, it was my job to get people I'm excited here. about that. Do you, so, under you understand the power of marketing then really and how it can transform, you know, mass uh, consciousness really? That's right. So that was my job. I mean, I worked, I mean, my st I studied social science and marketing. So I was always fascinated with understanding values and behavior and particularly around perception because, you know, there's this really amazing story that I was told on my first day of university. And it was basically said to us in like a make or break moment. If you can relate to this story, then I want you to stay in the room. But if you can't, they told us to get the F out of the room. Okay. And that was my first day of marketing and it was 700 people in an auditorium. And the story was about a hairdressing salon. And it was the only salon in a small town, Joe's Hairdressing Salon. And it was, you know, $10 haircuts. And everybody went to Joe's. Then one day a new salon opened up and it was a $5 haircut salon. So everybody's going to Joe saying, you've got to drop your price. No one's going to come to see you. So the day that that new salon, that $5 haircut salon opened, Joe took down his $10 haircut sign and he put up a new sign. And that sign said, we fix $5 haircuts for $10 and said, welcome to marketing. And so this idea that we're working with perception is something that it was really like embedded in my understanding of marketing. And it's very much what people need to understand about the way in which they're looking at the world today. They're looking at it from a lens that's being given in a way that's manipulated to give you a certain perception. And we've got to be very discerning and we've got to do our critical thinking. And so very long story short, um, as a result of this rollout, my husband and I, we got a new router like most people did in their homes to enable them to get faster internet, right? And he started saying to me, Renat, I'm not sleeping because I'm, I'm pretty sure it's that router. And so I just thought he needed a holiday, he needed a break. I just thought there's no way that anything to do with that router is the reason for his lack of sleep. But anyways, I did my due diligence and I went into the research database and I came across research that showed that 38% of my market were concerned about health effects. And I just thought, wow, this is an like this is a safety campaign and we've just got to get the word out, you know. And so I went to my executive director and she told me to get my foot out of the door in, not, in no uncertain terms. And um, there's certain moments in your life that stamp you and it's like a return to sender. Unless you deliver that message, it will keep coming back, returning to sender. And I spent nine years running away from that precise moment because I went to the research department and I said, I've got my spider senses. And I had a friend there and I said to him, what is it that you know about the way in which they research this technology that maybe I don't know? Not the ways I do know, you know, all the, you know, the way they tell us that it's all compliance checked and within safety standard. What don't I know? And you could see in my eyes that I was, you know, very serious. And he took me out for a coffee and he said to me that, Renat, they're testing mobile phones for safety on a plastic mannequin they call Sam. I said, what do you mean plastic? It's plastic head, specific anthropomorphic mannequin. That's the name of Sam, but it's just an, a very fancy word for dummy. And they test him by putting liquid in his plastic head and measuring whether or not it will heat up by more than one degree Celsius after a six-minute call. 
And that is how every single phone has been deemed safe. And that's, that's how they proliferated the market with this technology. It was a negligent test, a fraudulent test, and it's been done since the mid nineties. And not only that, it's non-biological. So he has no organs, no DNA, no cells, you know, nothing that represents anything biological. And, you know, children's we work with Children's Health Defence to promote this campaign. And they proved in a landmark ruling last year in August that this test is fraudulent and negligent. And that is why we have unsafe technology on the market today, because it was it was basically like a free for all for all big telco and big tech to release technology that was unsafe on the market. And that's where it all stems from. And that's the campaign. We are not Sam, we are not dummies. And it's exposing the truth about the big telco industry and big tech, but it has a very strong responsibility piece in the whole campaign, which is we believe we're, we're just guides to turn you back to yourself and recognize that the most important science that there is, is your intuition. And something is not right about this current rollout of 5G, which we're gonna get into, but where it stems from is the fact that the people that are claiming that they're here for your safety um, and doing surveillance for safety, never had a proper safety test in place and still have no safety test in place for 5G. It's, it's, it mimics the virus thing as well with the fake test and the lack of safety, the claim in health and safety. It's all about that. But in reality, it's the complete opposite. So, That's correct. Yeah. And it's quite scary if you start th to think about it and you start to go even further down this rabbit hole. And yet, I mean, it's absolutely insane. Just like the, the, the vaccine getting rolled out, this technology got rolled out and we've all just adapted it and used it. And now people can't think of life without it. And children yeah. especially, you know, they're they're looking forward to getting microchip the young population because of marketing and stuff, you know. And uh, obviously the vaccines can be tied into this with the graphene and stuff they're putting in them and then um, the effects that 5G can have on that. So that's, you've then basically discovered this quite shocking because you've obviously been promoting one step of this. And this was just in the early stages at 3G, was it still, and you realise the dangers um, from Wi-Fi. Not so much. Obviously, the optical cable, uh, the cables are much better and not dangerous. So we can use technology. And it makes more sense just to sit down at your computer, use it, and then walk away. Instead of carrying this thing around with us, yeah, ready to be, you know, go that endorphin rush thing and people get out, you know, and just be contactable anywhere as well, anytime. You don't have that um, sense of just being free and just living in the moment. You know, you're always kind of connected to the hive mind, essentially, the internet, the net, the yeah. world wide web, you know. So what did you do at this time then? What was your initial reaction? You said nine years there. What were you doing? Well, my initial reaction was rage. I remember feeling a lot of anger um, and just kicking myself for not having questioned it before. But also there was um, shame. A lot of shame because I went to very, I mean, I had great colleagues that I worked with and people need to understand that a lot of the people working in big telco, big pharma, they're just trying to make ends meet and pay for their kids' school and, you know, their mortgages and so forth. And the interesting thing that I found was because I was naive and I was in my mid-20s is that people just chose to look the other way. I mean, I'm presenting information black on white. It's a plastic dummy. We are promoting technology, guys, that's being tested on a plastic dummy. <laughs> and the cognitive dissonance to choose, to, to consciously choose to say, I need to look away from this. I, I just can't look at this. That was for me really hard. And so within a matter of weeks, I looked at my husband, he's from Switzerland, and I said, I'd like to, um, I'd like to go to Switzerland. And so for me, it was a runaway train. I, I, hadn't, I didn't have the capacity at the time to really deal with the rage, the shame, the guilt, um, the shaming, the, sh you know, the, the stonewalling that I experienced um, after me sort of, even we got a new CEO at the time and I started questioning him in an auditorium about this test. And he said to me, well, it's within standard. And I said, well, the standard is a plastic dummy, so please explain. And the fact that I asked a brand new CEO in a forum of hundreds of people. I mean, oh, I was blacklisted, <laughs> it was a done deal. And I knew what I was doing, even though I was young, I knew what I was doing. Um, but I had no other way to express myself than to kind of make it a bit more public and say, well, you now all need to sit with the information that you now have. What I do with it or don't do with it in my life is up to me, but what you all do with it, you cannot say you did not know. Yep. And um, 
and so I left and I moved away. And when I say moved away, it was more like a runaway train. I went to Switzerland and my husband and I, um, you know, we traveled around, we worked and I watched them roll out the 4G. I watched all the new research come out and show that a hundred, you know, that children absorb 150% more radiation than this dummy, that kids absorb, absorb, you know, double the amount of radiation than an adult. I mean, the ludicrousy that they were still rolling out this technology on the basis of a dummy test was something that was haunting me for nine years. And when I moved back to Australia and I went to my very first farmer's market here um, three and a half years ago now, and I got handed a stop 5G flyer. So there were a group of people that wanted to try to stop 5G here where I lived in the Byron Shire. And my, my husband just gave me a nudge and he said, you have been wanting to do this for so long. Um, go do what you do. And I do marketing. So I, I joined the team and, and I said, look, I'm going to do a marketing campaign and I want to work with Robert F. Kennedy Jr. And I did that. And I launched um, We Are Not Sam, so We Are Not Dummies, and got a lot of global attention at the time and exposed a lot of truths. And we just keep doing that. You know, we, we give you information and we hope that you understand that it's your responsibility. You know, once you've been given information, you've got to own your response to that. And um and that's what we do. We we expose a lot of truths about how they're treating us like dummies and not just in big telco, but it all links up. Like you said, it links up to the rollout of 5G. Why did that happen at the same time as this pandemic? And there's no coincidences in the entire story about these um, potions entering our body and having the technology within them, these nanobots and these nanotechnologies that can connect to the internet at the very same time that they're rolling out, you know, a you know, a response to a, a so-called virus. So yeah, I mean, I, I don't know how far you want to go, Billy, with the, the rabbit holes, but I'm not shy to speak about it all. All I can tell you is that <laughs> is one hundred percent about surveillance. And it's not about safety. It's definitely about surveillance. And I think people need to understand the difference between, you know, even 1G to 5G. So maybe I'll just give a little really quick overview of what the difference is. I was actually going to tell you to do that or ask you to do that, yeah. Great. So 1G is just make a call. Those brick phones, you make a call. Um, 2G is make a call and text. So that's when we could text. And 3G was make a call, text, and use data. Right. What's actually so happening to the technology in this different stages? What's changing? So this doesn't replace. So in other words, 2G doesn't replace 1G. 3G doesn't replace 2G and 1G. It's an addition. It every So it's an additional language in our atmosphere. It doesn't replace or exchange anything. It just adds. So if you can imagine 3G is currently in our atmosphere, speaks a language, there's 4G and 5G is a new language. So, and I'll explain that because people mostly think that it's just a replacement, it's not. It's always an addition and it keeps what it already has and adds to it. So that's like radiation waves going around our, our, and then do they affect us, these waves? Obviously, because yes. they're like faster, 5G's ones super <clears throat> faster, we're gonna need poles everywhere to make it work. 3G and 4G, for example, <clears throat> excuse me, is circular beam forms. So they go like this, circular beam forms, and that's how they radiate. 5G, when it gets to what's called 26 gigahertz, which is probably going to lose a few people, but that's where 5G does its work, is um, millimetre waves. So they're like silent bullets, like laser beams that enter the atmosphere. And that's the core difference, is the core difference is that these millimetre waves, they can't travel very far, unlike, say, 3G and 4G with the circular beams. They can travel a kilometre. With these millimetre waves, with these 5G, the reason they need 5G network is for the Internet of Things, which means that it needs to be in closer proximity to the things in your house. So they want to put microchips and antennas in your fridge, your dog's collar, your baby's nappy, your 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 coffee machine, your shoes, everything. Think of your think of all the things in your house. They want to have microchips and antennas to be able to connect that to the internet and read your data. We know that data is gold. So the reason they need to 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 have these small cells, which are like backpack size antennas, every two hundred meters down urban streets, not a tower in the distance, which is what most people are afraid of now. It's these small cells that are the real concern because they start to form a grid in close proximity to your 
body, which is outside, you know, utility poles or bus shelters or outside your kids' bedroom windows. And they need to be in close proximity to the things you own to read them. And that is 5G technology. So we say the main message of our We're Not Sam campaign is to boycott 5G phones. We say that the power is in your hands. There's a lot of power in our hands, actually, because it disables the network connection. So if you don't buy into the 5G phone, which is their very first step before they enter the Internet of Things, then you're actually giving no consent to that network because that network requires that you have a 5G activated device. So that's the only way you activate the network is if you buy into the technology. So we have to make a, a decision about the future that we want to live in by the things that we purchase. And it's it's an old cliche, but it's more true now than ever before that we need to be careful what we buy because that is actually setting us up for what I believe. If you're buying a 5G phone, you're, you're activating a dystopian future because this is surveillance. This is very obvious surveillance it's not it's not about faster downloads because you know we know that um fiber so cables are much faster more secure than 5g and if we wanted faster internet we, we would be using that but we're not so we're using a technology that we know can surveil our things and our bodies and why is that why would they be wanting to surveil every single thing that we use i mean the idea that 5g is the beginning is actually, if you look broader, it's actually the very first pinch of salt in an agenda that is far greater in that they want to have smart toilets so that you, when, when you do your business, it can read your, your specimen and then decide whether or not you can leave your house. I mean, that's the extent of where the 5G technology can go because they want to put sensors in everything, even in paint. So, the idea that we think that is just a phone, it, I'm not hiding anything, it's got nothing to do with what you think you are hiding or whether you think you, you've got, you know, good enough privacy for now. Their agenda with 5G is to read your activity. The agenda with reading your body is as well to monitor and to also manipulate it. So why would they want to do all of those things other than what I can say is a very anti-life agenda. So this idea of taking you out of your body um, is the real end goal, but ultimately what they want to do is control it to start with before they get to their, you know, getting your body, you know, your consciousness onto the cloud. So, yeah. Yeah, it sounds totally sci-fi, but as we know, they put a lot of um, things in sci-fi to prepare us for the possibilities, you know. Predictive so, programming, that's right. Yeah. And some people talk about resets as well, like maybe they've had this technology in the past and they know what they're doing, but they have to kind of go from the horse and cart very quickly to get this up. And each time they're trying to get more and more control. We say they, who in the right mind would come up with this kind of technology and what is the purpose, do you think, you know, of doing this? Because they're going to have to live in this 5G world as well. Who are these people? You know, do you have any thoughts? If you go right down there, what's their mindset? You know, obviously we've got Klaus Schwab in that, the World Economic Forum and the WHO, who control governments, you know, leading this charge, the criminal cabal. What's mm -hmm. your opinion on their motives behind it and, you know, the destruction that seems of humanity at this point? Yeah, I mean, you just touched on a lot of the um, key villains, I guess you could call them, <laughs> um, which is, you know, the Klaus Schwab's and the Yuval Harari's of the world. You know, these are... That they they have no shame when it comes to the fact that they they talk about that they they think there are too many people living on this earth, and they want to have they don't want to hack your device. They talk about hacking your mind. So there's a big difference between people thinking they just want to know more about you versus they they want to create systems, which is AI. And AI does its best work with the Internet of Things and the Internet of Bodies because once they can read and understand more about you, then they have the opportunity there to start to take over more of those human functions, right? And the reading and monitoring bodily activity and, and using AI as a remote controller to determine what you can and cannot do, where you can and cannot live. I mean, these smart cities, I mean, that's that's the real, you know, 
powwow of 5G is that, you know, we've got all these people living on land, let's congregate them all into one place and automate everything and control every single minute of their day. And that's a, that's the um, putting you in a box, you know, where you will own nothing and be happy. I mean, you talked about the World Economic Forum. These, these globalists, for, for lack of a better term, they want to see that we, first of all, we are addicted to devices. And that was the, the whole point of SAM. The reason they had a faulty safety test is they could proliferate the market and they're engineered. These devices are engineered for addiction. People have watched The Social Dilemma by now. They, they know this is engineered for addiction, engineered for surveillance. Snowden revealed all of this. And so why would they get us from addiction to surveillance if their very end goal wasn't to get us out of our bodies? So what is the antidote to all of that? The antidote is to connect more to our bodies, to our communities, to our to nature, to our inner wisdom, which is the best part of our biology, is our intuition. I've actually come to realise that I've read a lot of science. There's, a, there's over 2,000 peer-reviewed reports that show biological harm from wireless radiation. But why would I even need to read 2,000 peer-reviewed reports? I've read so many because intuitively I know. Well, and that husband uh, getting ill from it. And did you move the router and did it get better? You know, so there's a direct cause and effect. You know, people say there's a virus going around, but nobody's seen the virus or, you know, it's just all in the mind. But yeah. when you see something happening, people... If lots of people got ill in one village and it all seemed like a big pandemic, you say, all right, there's some kind of pandemic, an outbreak going on, but nobody's seen that, you know? So mm -hmm. we've lo we're losing touch with our physical senses and our immediate reality, and it's all being programmed from the, the theatre of the, the narrative. That's exactly right. Exactly right, Billy. And that's, where, and that's where I wanted to explain. That's what transhumanism is banking on. They're banking on you wanting to give your power, your authority, your sovereignty away to technology, which is what people are doing today anyways. They are doing that with their devices. They're giving so much power away to distracting themselves with devices. They cannot sit with their inner thoughts. They need to constantly get out and use their devices to really not have to face anything that's going on in the internal, you know, in their internal worlds. And that's transhumanism. Being on a device is pretty much genetically modifying humans anyway because of this concept of what's called the peripersonal space. Anything you hold long enough, start you start to, your body starts to map it out as part of you. And, and as a mother, I know this because when you hold a baby, you start to feel what they need when they need it. It's just an intuitive feeling. And the peripersonal space is similar to, you know, a truck driver who's driving a truck, you know, every single day of the week and he'll go under a bridge one time and just duck because the body has mapped out his whole body as the truck. And so when we're carrying devices on our body all the time, I mean, I don't see very many people that can leave their house without a device. We are literally genetically modifying ourselves into that very first morph of transhumanism which is requiring us to not want to separate with technology and that our body is mapping it out as part of us. And we are not part. The technology is a tool and it can be a great tool if it's used in a, in a safe and meaningful way. I'm using it right now. You're using it right now. But what we need to understand is that in, in, in the organic life, in the organic world, there's what's called natural selection. And we can you know, what, what the World Economic Forum talk about and Yuval Harari and all of that, just to come back to it, is the inorganic realm, which is the intelligent design. So I think that the future of life really does depend on how we regulate data, including our own inner data, because there's this concept right now of organisms versus algorithms, and they're trying to merge that together, which is the biotech and infotech. And we need to understand we are natural beings. And the fact that they're testing safety on a dummy, in other words, a smartphone is being tested on a dummy, says a lot about how they think or what they think of us. And they do not think of us as smart creatures. And we are. We are divine beings from a creator. And we have immense creative potential, far more than destruction. We have more potential. And so the, we talked before about the film industry and how they're sort of predictive programming everyone. They are right now in so many films and television shows, they're getting us, they're giving people this understanding that 
our body is a burden that for some reason that we've we've got to get out of our bodies you know avatar was a you know one of the first examples that i could think of where they were literally celebrating a man getting out of his body and into this you know artificial reality and so we are no longer trying to convince people as part of our campaign you know to critically think or not to critically think we went through that period but what we're here to do is to really help you understand that we need to promote our connection to nature because this is all just a symptom of our disconnection and once we connect to a greater source of power and once we understand you know our connection to the creator and the mother earth and each other in community and land then we we get to go from what's currently this you know trans agenda of sorts to humanism again and we come back to who we really are and why we're here and who do we want to become and then we explore divinity and that is why are we here? We're not here to use all these devices and, you know, get out of our bodies. We're here to really go in our bodies and have a really, really deep experience of, of the physical world that we get to be a part of right now. Here's something that just popped into my head when you were talking there. When you talk about getting out of your body, I thought of like the, the hippie CIA kind of thing. It was all created and that kind of was like, that was a mass consciousness. The Beatles and stuff are very much used. And then at the time it seemed like, oh, people were getting peace and love and back to Gaia and hippie and all this stuff. And then that kind of led to the new age and meditation. Do you think that was almost the start of trying to get us away from just being a, a simple human? And like that was part of the agenda almost, you know? All this oh, absolutely. Billy, I've talked about this so much of late, especially with dear friends of mine, that this, especially where I live, I live in Byron Shire. It's known for being a hippie, hippie town. You know, I live in Mullumbimby, which is <laughs> the epitome of hippiness. And um, the truth is that there is a very strong agenda to take ayahuasca and mushrooms and whatever else and get you out of your body. It's very luciferic, get you out of your body. And the idea Joe of Rogan that, does that quite a lot, you know? sorry, Joe Rogan, I think, promotes a lot of that to the youth, you know. Yeah, it's bizarre because what we should be promoting, and, and when, when you know that out of body is going mainstream, you know there's an agenda usually. So if the mainstream's talking about it and it's been glorified, then yeah, we've got an issue with that particular narrative. But when you really look into it, the out of body experience, and anyone that's had it, knows the difference between having a solid strong inner body experience and there is a completely different dynamic of having complete sovereignty over your body and going deep within that quantum realm of yourself and everything that you are connected to without the influence of any plant or any medication but just going within and yeah i i definitely think billy that there is um a push for people to do their out of body but if they had something to compare the inner body experience if they could compare it that they'd see that there's so much more to, to there's so much more wisdom to gain so much more beauty to gain from the inner inner work when you say inner work, meditation has been promoted a lot, and I did actually get benefit from doing these things and study Buddhism for a while. But do you think there's an element of it always like become passive? You know, um, you can just sit in your cushion and kind of want the world to meditate, the world to peace. There has to be. Yeah. A, do you think there's an active element that people, especially now, we have to get up off our arses basically? And, yeah, you know, <laughs> I'm I'm an for getting up off your ass I'll tell you why um, I think it's about inspired action so when I do my meditation it just brings me into a place of my alignment so my calm my place of observation and I think that's the best place you can do your work but if you just get to that place and you stay there and do no action from that place I think that's a bit unfortunate because we came here to be active to to experience um, and something that I often say in interviews I, I get told um, quite a lot um, Renat, oh, but I'm awake. You know, these awake words keep flying around. And, and I always say, well, what good is it being awake if you're still in bed? The point is to rise and shine, to get on your feet, to get creative, to collaborate, to do the work. And I mean, that's what I'm really about. I'm not about sort of just finding your inner strength and sitting with it and not doing anything with it. I'm there about find it, you know, own it, share it. And that's the beauty that we get to 
experience, right, is, is part of that recognition of seeing that in another human being and going, wow, let's let's do something. And I've had the pleasure of working with the most incredible, um, you know, group of people that I've, I could have ever asked to work with because I can see they're doing their work. And one thing that I just recently had a conversation about with uh, my husband's friend, Massimo, he said to me, we were talking about a raft of things, but we talked about masks and how even I myself was quite judgmental at the very early days of mask wearing. And I just thought, why are they putting this on kids? What are they doing to themselves? You know, I mean, all those questions, but they were coming, I know, not from the language, but from my feeling, they were coming from a place of judgment within me. And then I started to question myself and go, well, if I'm judging the outer world for wearing a mask, what is really going on in the inner world? Is this just a reflection of what we're really doing to ourselves internally, which is hiding ourselves, which is muzzling ourselves, which is putting on a masquerade for the world? And the, the, the answer was yes. I mean, how many people, including myself, where we walk around and we may externally judge a mask, but internally do we still wear them? And the answer, if the answer is yes, then we have no right to judge that that is a reflection of what we still need to learn. And so I think a lot of these agendas that are at play are really here to teach us what is actually on the inside that's kind of just now coming up and making itself well-known on the outside. And I think that's where you get your greatest wisdom is when you look at what your triggers are and your responses are and you go, well, there must be something in me that is still reflecting this. Yeah, I think... People could learn a lot if they listen to the words that they use when they're having to go at other people and think about those words directed at themselves because it's the kind of, you know, people get angry, but it's actually, if they listen to that advice, they would do well. <laughs> yeah. Me included. Um, yeah. So it's, um, let's go back to the Sam thing. Um, so this um, particular dummy is ridiculous and um, you're trying to do this project what's the impetus behind that and are you getting anywhere with this um project are you doing presentations conferences and how's the word getting spread out about this and how are you resisting this uh roll out of this 5g you know the kind of like for instance my son i would told him today you know he comes out of the gym he's got the bluetooth headphones on so I, you know they're telling them the radio transmitters in your head you probably don't want to do that but he's like uh didn't worry, old man, you know. And then I'm trying to tell him the 5G phones. You see, he says technology is great. He's going to get a 5G phone, but he doesn't need to switch the 5G aspect of it on. He still wants to use the great technology. But, you know, these young ones are getting suckered into this. They think it's the greatest thing ever. This, You know, your Apple iPhone, you just take a picture of something. You don't need to text it in, and you just click this, and it's just magic. It's witchcraft in some ways, you know. Apple with a... Uh, bite out of it and stuff like that in 666 when they put it in the market so yeah again it's the evil world we live in, how do we fight this evil and also another thing well, well remember that do you think everyone has a soul and can come awake when we're trying to wake them or is there just some people walking into here going to be dead and they've got no potential to wake up and just the narrative controls them and the, this almost default reality here is the negative and can we actually win because there seems to be so few of us when you're trying to combat this insanity? Well, there's a lot of questions, but let me get around to a few of them. Um, I started telling you about the story around perception, and I think this is probably the best place to kind of summarise what you've just said within that realm of perception. I think, yeah, there's a lot, there's definitely enough evidence to show that we are in some simulation here and um, everybody's having their own version of it. In other words, they're, you know, we know even through science that what we perceive becomes real and before that it's nothing, right? So we have to notice it first. And um, I'll tell you this, what we know about DNA and DNA is really fascinating because the, both the potion and the 5G target DNA, right? They target DNA in that the potion is rewiring DNA. We know that. And we know that 5G breaks DNA. Now, the reason it breaks DNA, wireless radiation, specifically 5G breaks DNA, is because your DNA is your receiver and transmitter of information. So that's your mission control, Billy. That means that what you perceive in this world depends on what your DNA transmitters can pick up on. Yeah. 
Now, when that is being um, manipulated and impacted by potions and by 5G, they are literally trying to hijack your perception of reality. And so when you can hijack someone's perception of reality, you can feed them your grid of information. So they only pick up on the frequencies that you're projecting in much the way, same way that media and drugs distort your point of view of reality. Technologies like this, you know, the potion is a technology. 5G is a technology and is distorting reality, right? Now, you and I might look at reality and perceive that reality has divine quality and nature, and we can perceive it the way we perceive it. But if you're connected to a artificial grid versus a natural grid, and I'll be very specific, there's two grids, in my opinion, that are going on. One is connecting to the artificial and that is a life of consumerism and, and jabbing and being completely in a vortex of a phone, constantly on a device, doesn't matter what device that is, that is a grid. And others who choose to use that as a tool but step into the world of the natural and they're connected to a different grid, so they're perceiving things differently, they're feeling things differently, they're connecting with things differently. And I don't mean to say that in, in, a, in a way of separation or division. I mean that to say that there are obvious ways in which you can see whether a person looks like or feels like they are connected to something greater or whether they don't feel like they're connected to something greater. And that's not up to us to judge. We can even just ask those questions. We can perceive it energetically. And so I think that the, the main part of what I think we need to do and what we do as a campaign is to guide people back to themselves and, and ask themselves to self-regulate when it comes to binge screening and to, in other words, figure out the bare minimum of, you know, what it is. In I mean, I'll give you an example. This is, this is probably the best example. When At the moment, we've got whale watching season where I live. So we go into a lighthouse walk and we see dozens of whales in breach. Just, just, it's just the most magical thing you could possibly imagine. It's just, it is magic. That's the real magic I'm talking about. And they're putting on this incredible show. And I'm standing there and I'm fully immersed in this moment. I'm just in awe of what I'm seeing. And I look to my right and I look to my left and this is what I'm seeing. They're not looking at the whale. They're looking at their screen looking at the whale. And that's the level of disconnection. They're literally putting a device to disconnect themselves from, a, from experiencing that immersion. And that is the example of what I mean about connecting to nature and connecting to the magic or putting a device in between you and therefore you're really it's 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 a barrier and that's where we have to make conscious decisions we can use devices as a tool but the minute we we start to um, put a device between us and an experience that's when we know we've got a clear disconnection from you know from what we're perceiving yeah, I always remember my dad when we were at my sister's wedding, wedding in Kenya. He spent the whole day, you know, going around looking at this, the wedding through a little tiny little black screen, a black and white thing in the camcorder and missed the whole thing all around him. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So um, where do we go from here then in the in the grand scheme of things? Like, again, people, they don't seem to be too interested. There's football, there's all these distractions going on. The, the Ukraine thing's taking mm. over people's <clears throat> minds as well. And there's always something else. This Agenda 2030, they tell us all these plans, the United Nations have got them all there. So it's not like they're not revealing it. Do you think that's like part of the dark side's, you know, almost ethics, if you want to put it that way, that they have to put the truth out there and we're ne negligent. So it's almost a form of laughing at us, we're telling you, and especially in the movies, if you, it's like they're mocking us with the, we are putting it right in our face and we're still just taking it as entertainment. Mm -hmm. I just I just find it hard to have a lot of hope these days <laughs> when you look up at what you're up against, you know. I think it's time to, as you say, focus on yourself and get you in touch with the world and find your group almost, you know, mm -hmm. the target. I guess it's part of marketing. Who, who are you targeting for this information? Are you targeting everyone or is there certain groups you're going after? As in, for, for me, I'm, I'm sort of, 
um, in terms of the campaign, I think people find the information when they're ready for it. Um, we're definitely, you know, we have incredible um, thought leaders and visionaries and dream makers and truth seekers all across the world that promote this information and that are doing funny, you know, comedy sketches. Some are very serious. Um, so you can take this information of a dummy in so many different um, emotions. You know, you can use humour. Um, but you can also be quite serious, as I said. So I think my job is not to kind of navigate what people do with this information. My job is to get it out to the people I know are aligned with the truth of it and to spread it. I mean, I've worked with, you know, so many top EMF scientists worldwide. I've been very fortunate in that when we did this campaign, we started on this journey. I got in touch with Robert F. Kennedy Jr. and his support. He wrote articles about it. And then when he won his landmark legal case last year to prove that the dummy is negligent, now it's going through a process. It'll take many, many years, just like asbestos, just like tobacco, to be able to refine this test and make it what it should have been, which is a biological test. And, yes, it may be too little too late, but at least we won a landmark legal case to prove that this has been, you know, that people are going to be made accountable for this damage. And my, I guess your your greater question is, is there is there any hope? Is there any um, point to any of this? Or are we just, you know, sort of riding a downhill battle? That's one aspect of it. Also, you talked about an artificial reality. I think somehow, like, there's a, going to be a split and some people they awake, ones will go one way and the other ones will fail the test or something like that. You know, who knows the possibilities that are, seems to be a, this, there's a control thing or, yes, something awakening going on and some are getting it and some aren't, you know? Yeah, I definitely think that um, <clears throat> there is already a split in society. I mean, that's not going to happen. It's already happened. And it's an unfortunate thing that we, again, like the masks, we have to see that internally we can't find unity, so we have to divide. And whether it's happening by natural selection or you know the the or not, it's it is happening. Um, so I'm not going to disagree with that. But I also feel that there are certain people that are feeling called to um, to do important work in these times, and they we all chose to be here. It doesn't matter who the we is, how it ends for us, it doesn't matter, but um, we chose to be here. You know, the, the miracle of us being able to form a human body and be physical in this moment in history. My my friend Nathan says to me, and he goes, you know, I have moments where I'm just like, can't people see it, Jesus? Um, and he'll just be like, Renat, this is the most exciting time to be alive. We're so much clearer on our values and what we want for our future and our kids and yeah, I mean, I still see the goodwill of humanity despite all these agendas, and I call myself an apocaloptimist because, you know, there are there is so much good to see, and ultimately I don't think that the creator, and I think the, the greatest power is not within us, it's when we co-create, um, and I think that the creator doesn't call the qualified he already qualified the called so if you have a calling that you want to do something in this in this moment in history follow that calling follow that intuitive you know guidance from your ancestors and just walk your path but if you're only doing something because of somebody else because of that victim consciousness of the, well they're doing this to me that's why I have to do this thing that I do that's that's just feeding that's just feeding the demon but you just walking your calling and going, all right, well, that just happened. All right, well, that's just being said on mainstream media. And you you take that from the place of your calling. I think that's where you do your best work. And I think that's where you keep yourself sane in these times. And you surround yourself with people where you can have really great conversations, but you can also poke a few bears and, and glitch the matrix, but joyfully, you know, you don't have to do it angrily. You can do it joyfully, but that doesn't mean there aren't moments where I'm just fed up and you don't want to throw something and have my moment of rage. But how do we find ourselves back to that place of, you know, calm and awareness and go back to that place of doing work from, from that place. And we just have to keep coming back there. It doesn't mean we have to always be there. We just keep coming back there. And um, and that's what I believe will, will really get us to where we need to be. And I think the tipping point is only ever scientifically been said that it's 3.5% of the world's population and that it tips over um, for societal change. So if 3.5% of the world's population wants societal change, they'll get it. 
Um, and it's not much. I mean, given how many ridiculous things have now transpired because of this, um, you know, the the they're black, they're definitely backflipping here in Australia with the mainstream narrative and and saying that they got things wrong. Um, so who knows how quickly we'll reach that three and a half percent? Who knows how how many it'll be too little, too late for, and how much damage would have been done? But is there a way forward? I think yes, that's um, that that is the case. And do I envisage a future where people are held accountable for their actions? Yep. And um, I'm also keeping myself accountable for what I do. And I think that's that's the best that I think um, we can we can all do. It's a lot to do actually um, to really monitor our inner work and our inner thoughts instead of judging everything else on the outside. That's the hard work. That's it's easier to judge on the outer. I do it all the time, and I go, Jesus, that was easy. But then if I have to go within, I'm like shit, that shit's hard. And then that's where I break down. I break down when I go into my inner stuff. Um, the outer stuff doesn't really break me. Yeah, it's a it's almost like a per personal battle we're, we're all going through. And you know, overcoming ourselves and trying to be better and improve and seeing our weaknesses. And I guess the whole COVID thing was a big wake up call for taking responsibility because now you realise. I mean, I kind of knew it. You know, the fraud of AIDS and stuff before, but the fact that these no such thing as a contagious virus. So what you put in your body and switching the Wi-Fi on and these kind of things, you're responsible for your own health. You can't blame something, an invisible bug that's, you know, and various other things that you have to know the chocolate and it's all written on there. I think they're trying to put insects in you as well now. So mm -hmm. these are maybe almost signs by the universe to say, look, you better pay attention to this stuff because these guys are doing that. And so it's up to us now to answer that and put it right rather than just be ostriches and bury the head in the sand, which doesn't solve much at all, really. Mm, absolutely. And I, and that's a choice, you know. Um, we can't complain about um, these globalists taking away our choice and free will um, and then say, well, I'm not, I'm not left with a choice because if you, if you allow yourself to lose your sense of choice and free will, that's the biggest problem, not when someone takes it away, but when you give it away um, or when you don't own it and you don't take responsibility for it. And as I said, like I think everything that's happening on the outer is a deeper reflection of a lot of the victim consciousness that exists in society of take care of me government, mummy um, and daddy made me do it, um, all these energies that take us away. And I, obviously I'm very I'm sympathetic to a lot of the reasons to why people have done what they've done over the last few years, but I'm also the kind of person, my, my personality, I've got quite a lot of masculine energy that goes through this body of mine, but I'm always trying to come back to my feminine because it's easy just to get really wound up and to get my lioness energy roaring and I have to contain that. And, um, and I think the best way that we envisage uh, a future is to actually have a vision of our own that isn't theirs and work towards it every fucking day. Like it's really not that hard. Make a plan and do it. If you're going to just sit around and complain about somebody else's plan, that's yeah. where I just get fed up and go, is that all we're going to talk about is how we're fed up with someone else's plan because the best work is when we create our own pathways and that gives people choice. That gives people go, oh, this is a pathway that's been presented by the mainstream. Have you heard about this pathway over here? And people like, you know, Pete Evans and Kelly Brogan, all these other people out there, Charles, they're all presenting options for how to live a healthy way or you don't have to. You can also go that way. But the presentation of alternative pathways for mental health, for what you eat, how you live, where you live, it exists, how you school your kids. Um, how you use devices, these alternative pathways exist and more of them can be brought to life. So if we actually focus on building the new and stop with the victim consciousness and get action orientated on the new, then we, we've got this. And even if we don't have this, we'll come back and do it again. <laughs> yeah, I'm a, I've been banging that drum for a while now because the protest marches, I started even speaking at, the, at those and... I was holding up the book, What Really Makes You Ill. Look at this, buy this, it'll all be over, don't worry. And then next week they're still banging on about COVID and stuff. I was like, you know, listening. And yeah, it seems like it just became a thing for people to organise to say, look at me, we're doing this and we're shouting at Nicola Sturgeon or somebody this week. And I'm like, 
take something away, go and learn something and come back next week and talk about that or improve yourself, you know, use that as a means to inspire people to improve themselves rather than just bitch about other people and a lost interest because then you think these groups get taken over and things like that and because the disinformation agents and the bots and everything and the censorship, I lost a Vimeo channel with 10,500 videos on which is enraging because I'm trying to tell people the truth and they're claiming they're protecting people. It's just out and out criminality and right in your face. How are they getting away with it? It just blows my mind. And again, I lost my job through fighting COVID. I was in court and that was a joke as well. They don't want to talk. I never got a chance to speak. They didn't want to listen to any of the truth in their court either. So it's rather frustrating, you know, and it can bring out that kind of rage. (laughs) (laughs) Which I try and channel. I mean, I've, do comedy and poetry and try and put that into something to entertain people and have a laugh about it. But at the same time, let's uh, think about this and maybe stimulate some conversation. So everyone does have their part to play, really. It's a case of putting the device down. Because my son was at school and, um, you know, they got the, the furlough thing. And uh, basically it took him three months of sitting on his phone like that before he actually says, I'll see what else I can do. And then he started doing some music on his computer and started becoming c- quite creative, you know, and, if it wasn't for that year he had out of the lockdown, or whatever, then he would have just been in the in the mill and just you know he got locked in that. Don't learn anything at school because it's boring, and then fun gets taken out of learning. So they just watch their phone when they get home. Mm. So yeah, it's that technology has to be put down first for people that creativity to really rise out out of them. I think. That's right. And again, I'll just come back to the peripersonal space. Map out your body as part of something that is divine. Let go of the device, go somewhere that is majestic, and then you'll really see and feel your sense of like wowness in in what you can achieve. And I think from that place, we can do it. But if we're just constantly sucked into a vortex that is depleting our energies. Most kids get off their devices, they're depleted. My, you know, myself included, I'm not, you know, I'm not a child, but children specifically, they're quite depleted after they get off a device. These devices are not meant to be babysitters for children. They are tools for creativity, but they should also be, you know, they should be monitored in terms of their binge screening um, and self-regulate so that they understand the boundaries with technology. So that it's not just a free-for-all, you know, kids come home and they're on devices for the rest of the afternoon till they go to bed. This is about understanding, use it for a tool. And if it's not being used for a tool, put it down and do something with your hands. Your hands have sensors and they're designed for creativity. We can build with these hands. We can hold, we can make, we can hug. There's, there's the unlimited potential to create just in the physical that doesn't require technology and yes technology can be used to promote and yes technology can be used to spread things and ideas but where we need to understand that we are physical beings is to try to get ourselves away from being on devices all the time and available all the time and your dopamine hits for every like every ping every everything where you're just you're you're literally a slave to technology so you've got to get out of that slave mentality that that technology pings you and you must react yes master you know this is they're not this technology is not a god this technology is an artificial reality that we dip our feet in and out of but the real world is where we do our best work. And that's why, you know, if, if we had an opportunity, Billy, where we've got, you know, we had the opportunity to sit next to each other in the physical, there'd be a completely different experience than online. This is great because we can't be physically face-to-face. But when you have that opportunity to be face-to-face, you would take it. You would go, yes, let's get yeah. together. It's so funny. We opt for that as a first preference is what I'm saying. I mentioned this book, you know, Don Lester and David Parker. It's a really great book, What Really Makes You Ill. So I interviewed them at the start of the pandemic and for two years, and then they came up to Scotland just recently to do a tour. And me and my girlfriend, we spent a day with them and just getting to meet them in person, you're right, it's completely different. You know, you walk in the room for the first time, it's like, oh, this is new, you know, even though you're familiar with each other, it's just that personal experience. So then spending the day with them was great and you connect far better. Um but obviously it's useful for long distance things, but yeah, nothing better than the real thing. I was, I was been watching a lot of things recently about mountaineering disasters and stuff up Everest and the crazy stuff that goes on up there. And you say to yourself, look at these guys are absolutely insane. What, what are they thinking about going up there? You know, but a lot of their stories is like, you know, 
the, just everything else drops away and life becomes about the next step is literally what they're focused on. And it's almost, I've said to my son today, like, because I used to, a little bit of climbing some Scottish hills, and I'm thinking we need to get you up there and, <laughs> you know, get some exercise and get some fresh air and just take a look at the world from up there and experience this beauty that's all around us, you know? And, mm -hmm. um, yeah, so that's kind of, I don't know why I mentioned that, just to, the, getting away from the technology aspect, that's one good way to do it and connecting with nature, and that might help break the spell for these um, addicted young kids. We should be programmers behind it, you know? Get the kids off the machines and take them to Loch Lomond for a week or something. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. I mean, we're seeing more and more, especially through this pandemic, we've seen more and more kids on devices, you know, learning on devices and expected yeah. to be on devices, having classes on devices. And yeah. their whole day seems to be about being in a vortex of, you know, this artificial reality. And um, yeah, I think one one of the ways in which we 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 advocate for our kids, you know, in in terms of the we are not Sam campaign, is to really get clear on your your boundaries around the household. You can't expect your kid to give you boundaries. You 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 do need to give kids boundaries around devices and and help them understand the differences. You know, otherwise they won't know. And worse than that, they. Um, they'll just continue to use it in a way that's distracting them from, from their potential. I do believe that it has that very unnerving energy to it um, in that we can see children just sort of being dumbed down by, by these devices. And, and we've, got to, we've got to take on very, um, very clear boundaries, yeah. Well, what about these things like TikTok as well, you know, when the children are on it, it's not just the device and the radiation, yeah. it's all the mind you know, this woke agenda is completely, you know, you can't even believe it's happening. Um, yeah. So that's wild as well, even not just for the 5G aspect. They should be taking the children off the phones for that. Mm-hmm, 100%. I mean, there's, I mean, that's the, 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 it comes back to perception, you know, when you're using technologies um, and you're, you know, watching a TV or a screen on your computer or your device and it's feeding you information that's part of this artificial grid, then you're basically giving yourself a moments of a moment of consent to that information, whether or not you realize it or not. You are activating that energy field. So that's not to say you shouldn't know about it. You should know what what you know these these nefarious agendas are up to, and you should be able to openly speak about it. Um, but to be obsessive over it is where I draw the line. Is like how how many times can some can a person complain about the same thing over and over again before you realise they're not doing anything other than complaining? So that's where you go, meh, I'm not going to be listening in on that too much longer. But when you realise that there is an energy of um, doing something about it and inspiring change because of it, that that becomes a more exciting energy. And I think if we even teach our kids to critically think, even if they have, even if they get exposed to information that we don't want them to hear, but then to have a conversation around that and to see how they're critically thinking about it, then maybe that's a really good representation of why they need to see it so that they can be more discerning and us as parents to help navigate that with them so that we're not just trying to take a device off their lap and say, you cannot watch this or you shouldn't listen to that. But what did you hear? What did you listen? What does that make you feel? Oh, that cut out. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's all right. Maybe that's a metaphor. <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah, I was going to say, oh, I forgot what, what, what were you saying there about the control of the devices? Oh, I had, had a question. I was saying <laughs> that we can ask the kids to critically think, no matter yeah. what they're exposed to, is to have a conversation where we're not judging them, we're not shaming them. And the same with our friends and family members that may have different opinions, is if we actually have open-hearted, conversation and ask questions that aren't meant to be you know um divisive then maybe we'll be able to learn from one another and you know to open each other you know help each other open their own mind i don't think you open someone's mind for them i think you just you know plant a seed and maybe they'll come back to it one day and discuss it within themselves and we do that with our kids but we have those conversations with our kids after they've seen something or been part of something um despite whether or not we agree with it, we we have the conversation. That's a good point. I've been a single dad for a while and I'm trying to stop shouting at my son, you know, and try to talk to him, but it doesn't happen very often. 
Um, <laughs> you know, there's something called the trivium that was taken out of education, you know, the three-step process of critical thinking. And that's so mm. important, grammar, logic, and rhetoric, that people need to wake up to and do the critical thinking. Just before we go, I'm going to wrap up. We usually do about an hour. You made a movie called, um, was it We Are Gaia? The Gaia Code. The Gaia Code, yeah. And, um, yeah, would you like to talk a little bit about that? Yeah, absolutely. Um, so in the heart of the Byron Shire, there's a lot of creative people here. And so we came together and said we want to do this film that talks about the naked truth of technology. And it made so many people uncomfortable because here's this naked Gaia who's completely body painted with majestic natural colours and she's walking her path in nature and connecting physically connecting her hands are connecting to everything and um and she comes across a device and so she goes through this push and pull and you can start to see that her body is starting to have um, a reaction to this technology in in terms of her eyes changing in terms of her body structure and physical pain and she has to find a way to let go to and find her way back to nature to re-emerge and reconnect and that's really the metaphor for 5G and for this whole We Are Not Sam campaign is that we have to raise our own frequency. You know, the word free is in, in, is in frequency. We have to raise our own frequency. We have to connect with, with our divine, um, you know, beingness, but also with, with the Mother Earth, with Gaia, because our healing, our ability to heal, our ability to come back and do the inner work, like you and I spoke about, Billy, is to find our way back. It's not to say we got lost. It's to say, you know what, we can remember and we can find our way back. And maybe some will and maybe some won't, but I'm not here to decide what every single person on this planet is going to do with their lives. This is just a way to present a way forward, you know, and so this film was just such an inspiration. It's a three-minute short film that people can find on our website, wearenotsam.com. Would you like people, would you like me to show it? I can play it just now if you like. Sure. And then we can talk about it after. So you just stay in the background, I'll bring it up and we'll play it. And hold on. I don't know if the sound will be okay.
So there we go. That was a, a year in the making, yeah? Yeah, that's right. It was a year in the making and it was in deep reverence for Gaia. This is the region in which we live in and there's so much natural beauty here and so many people that feel a deep connection to you know, nature when you live on a coastal, you know, coastal hinterland town. And um, it's just a reminder for the beauty that's out there. And, you know, there's nothing that looks more, technology looks so artificial in such a natural setting. Yeah, and we good. have to remember how artificial it looks when yeah. we're in nature. And yeah. that's sort of the impetus for that campaign. And we, we had such an incredible group of creatives come together to make that um, happen. And yeah, it's, um, it is it is a beautiful piece of art. And you've had some kind of controversy over it as well. People Yeah, yeah. A lot of people were taken aback by the nudity. Um, but you know, that's produced this film and um you know we're behind it. So it's quite an interesting take to 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 see that people were sort of taken aback by it. But I mean that is really where we're at in, in society is that unless we're really ready to bear it all and to allow ourselves to be seen for who we really are, which is natural beings, um yeah, there's gonna there's gonna be people offended by it. Sounds like my comedy set. <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah, thanks very much for your time. It's been a pleasure to have you on. And uh, would you like to give people any more information apart from obviously the site we are not sam.com or is that your main yeah, page? You can follow me on Instagram. It's also one word we are not Sam. And um, we're going to be doing a brand new website. It's going to be launching in a few weeks and we'll keep having more and more information. But ultimately, just remember what our main message is and that is that the power is in your hands. And if you're going to do the inner work and you're going to come back to who you truly are, that you can take action, inspired action to create alternative pathways. And we can do this together. So that's my message and Billy it's been such a pleasure to be on your show and to get to know you and I hope to do many of these more of these in the future with you too that would be lovely if you hang around for two minutes we'll have a quick chat before you leave everyone else thank you very much for watching hope you enjoyed that one I'm sure you did if you've got half a brain so <laughs> and my audience has more than half a brain so it's guaranteed <laughs> thanks for your time take care cheers now bye bye There we go.